If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 143, or rather 141. Psalm 141. We read in verse 8, Mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord, and thee is my trust. Just like the man who was blind from birth, all of God's people can say, I don't know much, but one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. And David says in another psalm, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed unto thee and thee alone. Now that's a good place to look, is it not? Unto that true and living God, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Unto thee, O God, is my heart fixed. My friend, that's the best place to cry unto, to God our Savior. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the exclusive and only object of saving faith. Indeed, the one and only object of saving faith of God's elect is Christ himself. It's not a theological position. It's a person we're looking to, beloved. A person. You see, the eyes of God's elect, the heart of his people, is fixed upon a person. Not a theological position, not a place, not a thing, not a creed, but rather the object of saving faith is fixed upon a person, the living and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation is not found in a feeling. It's not to be had in observing traditions or ceremonies, but rather it's to be found looking and believing on the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 45, we read there our Lord saying, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look, my friend, look and live. And that's by the look of faith, the gift of God that we find ourselves looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, we look to the Lord to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, our never-failing Savior. Beloved, we have turned to God, and in turning to God, we've turned from our idols of ignorance to serve the, the, the living and true God. Now, as we look at this psalm this morning, we see here the inward heart cry of the believer, looking unto the Lord our God for grace to help in time of need. And beloved, we do, we do that, not, not some of the time. I trust, like you, beloved, uh, we all look to Him all the time for our help, crying unto the Lord, Lord, intercede, Lord, help, Lord, supply, Lord, bless according to your purpose and grace given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, let's, uh, let's look at verse 1. Psalm 141, verse 1. Lord Jehovah, I cry unto thee. Faith looks to thee, but, but my prayer, my prayer is also the cry of a broken heart. I cry unto the Lord. Now, would it do any good to cry unto the preacher? Would it do any good to cry out to your dad or your mom? Of course not. And so, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, O Lord, make haste. You see, this cry 
is a personal cry. Give ear unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. David asked, David cried, David prayed, Lord, hear my cry. And he does. He does. Beloved, the Lord does hear the cry of our heart. Give ear unto my voice when I cry, when I pray unto thee. Verse 2. Lord, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, as that incense that was prepared and sprinkled on the sacrifice. That's typical of the intercessory prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, two things are mentioned here, incense and sacrifice. And, beloved, both speak of our intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, under the law, not counting all the other sacrifices, you know, the, the burnt offering, the heave offering, and all those other blood sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, and there was the daily morning sacrifice and the daily evening sacrifice. And all those sacrifices are all pictures and types of the great once-for-all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And David, in his day, he prayed looking to that sacrificial lamb, but he looked beyond the shadow of that to the substance, to the reality. Just as John did, saying, Behold the Lamb of God. You see, David looked beyond the morning and evening sacrifice, and he looked beyond the shadow and looked to the substance and reality of the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how could he do that? He did that by God-given faith by that faith that it ever looks to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, our prayers, beloved, my prayers, your prayers, in of themselves are full of sin. That's right. Even our prayers need to be cleansed. They need to be perfumed with the Redeemer's righteousness. Our prayers need the merits of his sin-atoning blood and sacrifice. You see, our prayers, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, well, they would be offensive without the blessed intercessor, they would be rejected outright. You see, they need to be perfumed, made acceptable by the sweetness of his sacrifice and intercession for us. Thank God we have a mediator between God and man. And that mediator is the God-man, Jesus Christ the Lord. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 how that Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You see, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is satisfying to the Father and satisfying to the family of God. And he saves, indeed he satisfies to the uttermost. And you know, believers are satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ, but that's not the important thing. The most important thing is that God the Father, God the Father sees the blood sacrifice of his Son and he's satisfied. And that's why we're satisfied. Thank God the Lord Jesus Christ ever liveth to intercede for us. And think of it, beloved. Our worship, our prayers, our preaching, what would it be apart from the perfuming of his intercession, apart from the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to make our worship, our prayers, our preaching acceptable unto God? Nothing but filthy rags. Because in of themselves, they're full of sin. You see, our prayers are so full of self, so full of selfishness, I mean, we catch ourselves praying selfishly all the time, do we not? And so we need an intercessor. And thank God we do have an advocate with the Father. 
Our brother writes in First John, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. But if any man sin, if any man sin, and, and one blessed day, beloved, one glorious day, we won't anymore. But when we sin, beloved, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank God he ever liveth to intercede for us. Thank God we have an all-sufficient atonement satisfying unto the Father. And his, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins only, not only for the elect amongst the Jews, but also for the sins of the whole world. And he has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We read in Isaiah 53, verse 11, something about the satisfying sacrifice of Christ unto the Father. And in verse 10, we read how it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. You see, beloved, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is the sinner's substitute that satisfied God. My friend, if you learn these two words, you'll learn the gospel. Substitution and satisfaction. I happen to think Paul said it better. <laughs> Christ and him crucified. Now, substitution, what is that? Substitution is Christ dying in the room and stead of God's covenant people. And satisfaction is Christ satisfying the Father as our substitute on our behalf. Indeed, the Father shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant, my well-pleasing son, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You see, he satisfied God for his covenant people. Are you not glad for that, beloved? Our prayers are perfumed with his righteousness, perfumed with his glorious once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Uh, once for all sacrifice of Christ. All right, let's look at verse 3 now, back in our text. Psalm 143, verse 3. 141, excuse me. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let me not partake of their wicked practices. Let me not eat of their pleasant things. Now, by God's grace, we see several things here that David asked for. And I believe every believer can identify with verse 3, can we not? He said, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. We read in Psalm 39, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Be careful what you speak. Lord, let us speak ever the words that bring honor and glory to your Son. Let us not speak with words contrary to the gospel. Even when we pray, let us always pray in a way that's consistent to honoring the God we believe. And in that letter written to the Colossians, the apostle says there, Beloved, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. 
Now, here's the thing. Let us not speak of the sovereignty of God as it's taught in the Word of God in one moment and then go on to complain about His good and great providence in the next. And so since we know God's in charge of all things, let us not speak of the sovereign and almighty grace of God and then complain about the way things fold out in time because that's what a hypocrite does. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do you? Lord, set a watch before my mouth and keep the doors of my lips. And especially so, Lord, when we pray unto you, especially when we cry out unto you. And Lord, not only keep my mouth, but so too keep my heart. Verse 4, incline not my heart to do to any evil thing. Incline not my heart to, to any evil thing. For out of the abundance of the heart, that's what the mouth speaks. And so, Lord, not only keep my mouth, but so to keep my heart from every evil thing. You see, although many of us don't have any great problems with any outwardly moral evil, I mean, I don't go around doing things that are more morally unlawful. But even so, the Lord said, You have heard that it has been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with, uh, with her already in his heart. And so, Lord, keep me from evil thoughts. Lord, keep me from every evil thing. Keep my heart from every evil thing. Lord, keep me from the evil thoughts of the things that would absolutely embarrass me. And, beloved, let us not practice them. The apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. By God's grace, by God's mercy, Lord, let us bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Lord, keep my heart from any evil thing, any evil thought. And we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from this wicked, evil world, but especially so, Lord, deliver me from my own wicked, sinful, evil self. Lord, I don't want to think about wicked things to practice or for that matter to put into practice any wicked thoughts. Again, verse 4. Lord, incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Lord, not only keep my mouth, but so to keep my heart. Let us not practice the wickedness of others. Now, I believe this speaks specifically of this problem we have in our day that sadly is so prevalent. I mean, there's nothing more wicked, nothing more evil before God than giving the creature glory at the expense of giving it to our faithful God. And that's wicked. That's evil. I mean, there's nothing more evil in God's sight than to trample underfoot the blood of Christ and to go about to establish a righteousness of our own. In effect, if that's what you're doing, in effect, you're spitting in the face of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, to promote free will, will worship at the expense of God's purpose and grace my friend, that's wicked, just utterly and completely evil. Lord, I don't want to practice any wicked thing that the workers of iniquity practice. 
I don't want anything from those that, that glory in themselves. I don't want to eat of their dainties. I don't want to partake of their doctrines. I don't want to partake of their pseudo-false fellowship. I don't want to lead the assembly of the saints to fellowship with the synagogue of Satan, where the gospel is denied, despised, and hated. Do you? I mean, by God's grace, I don't want to partake of any wicked thing. And my friend, God's people don't. By God's grace, by God's mercy to us, we don't want to partake of any evil thing. And so, Lord, let me not eat of their wickedness. Let me not partake of their dainties. Lord, keep me from them that glory in the idols of their flesh. Keep me from those that, that, that glory in the creature and not in the true and living God. Remember what the, uh, the Apostle Paul said? Our brother Paul wrote these words. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, we should only glory in the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in Psalm 34, we read there, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Credit the Lord. Thank the Lord. Attribute every good thing to him. Praise the Lord. Attribute everything to him. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And after the apostle sets forth in 1 Corinthians how that Christ is all of our justification, all our sanctification, he concludes, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Of God, he writes, and this is the Holy Spirit writing these words. Make no mistake about it. This is the inspired and errant word of God. Of God are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. How come? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's my wisdom. Praise the Lord. He's my righteousness. Praise the Lord. He's my sanctification. Praise the Lord. He's all my redemption. Incline not my heart to any evil thing. Rather, incline my heart to boast and brag of you, O Lord. And this is the way we pray. Lord, keep me from anything contrary to the gospel of your grace. Let me not glory in the flesh or in those false doctrines that promote free will man-made religion. Verse 5. Let the righteous smite me and it shall be a, be a kindness. Let the righteous believer rebuke me, and let him reprove me, and it shall be an excellent oil. It shall be kindness to me, which shall not break my head. Rather, it will be good for me. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When I'm rebuked by my brother, rebuked by the righteous, I still pray, do I not? I don't quit praying. In effect, what David's saying is how that he would much rather be rebuked and chastised or chastened by the righteous, that is, by a believer, than to feast with the wicked and partake of their dainties. I'd rather be smitten and rebuked by a believer than feast with the dainties and the, ple the pleasantries of the wicked. You see what he's saying? Beloved, it's much better to pray, to worship, and to, to have fellowship with believers than any other company. As a matter of fact, you can't have fellowship with will worshipers. Not really. Not like you do with believers. You see, we're fellows in the same ship. Saved sinners, saved by God's grace in Christ. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'd rather have the rebuke of a friend than a pat on the back from an enemy. You see, beloved, when the ungodly smile upon us, their flattery is cruel. But when the righteous rebuke us, their faithfulness is kind. Now, fools resent that, but the wise, wise men endeavor to profit from the rebuke of the righteous. You see, beloved, we're to care and to pray for one another and in love. And if need be, rebuke one another. The Apostle Paul writes in the latter part of Ephesians 4, Beloved, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I mean, hate that. Hate bitterness. Hate wrath. Hate anger and clamor. Put it away from you. Put away evil speaking. And verse 32 of that Ephesians chapter 4, he continues, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so, beloved, because we love each other, we tell each other the truth in love. And you know, when you really love someone, and you see that one you love, and especially so the family of God, when you see them going contrary to the gospel, bringing offense to the gospel, what do we do? Well, in love, that constraining love for, by, and in Christ, we rebuke them. We love them in the truth. And make no mistake about it, that's that's love. And so let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And chiefly, what we see in this verse is the gracious and needful rebukes of the Lord. And that's chiefly done through the word, the written word and the preached word. That's how he rebukes us and that's how he corrects us. And that's through the written word and the preached word. Uh, Many times over the years, people have brought up the subject of correction or church discipline with me. I remember when I was visiting our home in Canada and someone asked me, how does your church in Mexico deal with church discipline? And I thought, here we go again. (laughs) We're going to get into this again. My friend, God will correct his people through the written word and the preached word. What do I mean? Well, my friend, you are either a bastard, illegitimate, just a creature, not a child of God, or a beloved. That's right. You're either a bastard or a beloved. One or the other. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And what a comfort this portion is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, every daughter, whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, as daughters, as as his children. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, then ye are illegitimate, and not sons. 
Further, we have had fathers of our flesh which, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? And how is it that you find yourself in subjection unto the Father of spirits and living? That happens every time you find yourself rejoicing in repentance and faith as you acknowledge the truth as it is in Christ. Every open heart here this morning, every heart cry here this morning that is praising and thanking the Father for full and free salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We read in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writing to Titus, Together, beloved, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, Titus. Let no man despise thee. And Paul saying, do speak, do exhort, and do rebuke with all authority, Titus, but so too with all humility, all humility. As he wrote to Timothy, remember he wrote, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, if the Lord loves us, he will rebuke us, and he will chasten us, and he does so again and again and again through the written word and through the preaching of the gospel. Now look at verse 6. Psalm 141, verse 6. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. They are sweet. Now we can apply these words to David, and especially so, beloved, to the greater David. When the Lord was pleased to defeat David's enemies, when Saul and others who rose up against him, and while they were thrown down, the Lord blessed and anointed David, and his words became sweet to others and of great comfort unto his people. David reigned in Israel for 40 years, and the Lord God blessed him. God said, he's a man after mine own heart. And beloved, that's not only true of David, but that's also true of every believer. This is certainly true of our own salvation and our own conversion experience, how that when the enemies of our own heart are overthrown, when we are made new creatures in Christ Jesus, the words of the Lord are made sweet and precious to, to us. Are they, do they, are they not made that, that way with you? To hear his words again and again. I never tire of it. <laughs> never do. Uh, if you would turn to, uh, turn back to Psalm 19. Now when our enemies are overthrown, and I'm talking about a work of grace that God does in our heart, and when they're thrown down, when I'm put into the dust, when we hear his words as most precious and most sweet, because he's given us light and life, made us new creatures. It says there in Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the testimony of Christ and him crucified, is perfect in converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. His words are sweet unto us, are they not? 
Our Lord said, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And by God's grace, we not only keep his words, we love him who gave them. And uh, one other reference I want to show you, Psalm 119, verse 103. Psalm 119, verse 103. And when the Lord is pleased to convict us and put us in the dust and overthrow our pride, overthrow our self-righteousness, our self-glory, the words of his exceeding great and precious promises are made known to us and they are most sweet indeed. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honeycomb in my mouth. I don't have this reference in, uh, in, in my notes here, but we were looking at this this morning. You know, my, my pastor used to say, if you attend all the services, you'll have a well-balanced meal, a well-balanced diet. <laughs> and if you have, well, I just pray if the Lord puts it on your heart, you come. You come Wednesday. You come Sunday morning. Because this is, uh, this is sheep food. <laughs> this is the lamb's food here. And in Acts chapter 13, uh, it says there in verse, uh, 48. Now, I'm going to read something to you bitter. See if you can hear how it's bitter. And then I'll make it sweet. Just indulge me for a moment. And when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. That's bitter. That's not true. Did you hear what I did there? I turned it around. That's exactly right. That's not the gospel. What does it say? This is sweet. <laughs> because what it does is, by God's grace, we can trace up to his sovereign will and purpose in Christ Jesus for the very reason why we're believing this morning. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. He doesn't save anybody by accident. He saves all his people according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And his words are sweet unto us. The Lord is pleased to speak to us through his word. I mean, we can, we could, we could just park here all the rest of this morning. <laughs> and I could say something to you and you would hear that, beloved. And you would say, that's not true. How come? Because his word is abiding in us. He's, he's, he has, he has given us ears to hear and eyes to see. The Lord Jesus Christ said, uh, this is John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I offer them eternal life. And that's not it. That's bitter. That's, that's not the sweet gospel I know. What does he say? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them everlasting life. And they shall never perish. I'm so thankful for that, beloved. It ain't, it ain't, uh, how many times do I read the old writers and I read that word offer again and again? I don't know why it's there. It doesn't belong there. It's not there. No man has the authority to say that the Lord God Almighty offers you eternal life because he doesn't offer it. He sovereignly gives it to undeserving, damned, dirty sinners like you and me. We weren't looking for it. 
We didn't even know we weren't even saved. (laughs) And he reaches down and he pulls us out of the, the muck. We weren't breathing. We were dead. We were gray. We were graveyard dead. (laughs) It's such a good gospel, beloved. Never, never, we can't even begin to delve into the, 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 the glories of the gospel that is contained in the smallest portions of scripture. That multitude, they just saw the Lord perform that miracle of uh, multiplying the, the, the five loaves and the two fishes, and they were fed, and they labored to get on the other side of the sea to find him. You know, some got in their boats or sailboats or whatever, but they, they made great efforts to find him again. And he looked at that multitude and he said, don't labor for those things that perish, but labor for those things that do not perish. And then that multitude asked him, what is the work that we might work the works of God? And we hear the life-giving answer. <laughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ looked at that multitude and he said, this is the work of God. Unless God performs a work in us, we won't be able to do what he tells us is the work of God. And what is it? To believe on the one God sent. To believe on God's well-pleasing Son. I'm so thankful that not only once, but two times we hear the voice of our Heavenly Father saying in the cloud, This is my Son, in whom I am well-pleased. Hear ye Him. I'm so glad His people don't debate. They don't argue. We just go, Oh, hold on a second. Did you hear him? Because I've heard him by by God's grace. And he never said that. Are you listening to someone that's teaching people in a building like this that they can lose their salvation? That they can be saved on a Friday and then they do something over the weekend and lose it by Monday? Uh, That man is not preaching my Lord. That man is not preaching my God. You're listening to someone who's uh, lying about him. And he's lying to you. Because make no mistake about it, his glory is his power to save every single sheep, every single lamb that the Lord God, the the, the Father gave to his son. He said, this is the Father's will, he who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. What a glorious Savior. (laughs) What a glory. If, If he would just... Revive us this morning. Cause us to look afresh upon him. He who has all power in heaven and earth. You're looking to him who has all power in heaven and earth for all your salvation. I'll tell you what. You are saved. You're being saved. And you shall be saved. (laughs) That's right. That's absolutely right. All right. Back to our text uh, in Psalm 141, verse 7. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. In effect, David's saying, we're at the point of death. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave. As when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Or when when one plows up the earth, plows up the ground. David was in a very low spot, was he not? I mean, he was down, very down. He writes in Psalm 142, verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave. Now we see something of just how low David was in this portion. I mean, he had no sense of hope. He felt like a pile of bones ready to return to the dust. 
Think of it, beloved. God had promised him the throne in Israel. He'd already been anointed by Samuel as the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16. And yet he saw no hope in and of himself of ever sitting on the throne. Saul occupied his family. Saul's family occupied. And, and, and David was cast out and he felt so low, so down. And by nature, beloved, that's our predicament. By nature, we are without God, without hope, and without Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. We, like David, we're dead in sins. At the mouth of the grave. That's how we come into this world. We're dead in sins and trespasses. At the mouth of the grave. Before that plowed ground. You see, this is the way the Lord deals with us. He brings us down and then he raises us up. He strips us and then he clothes us. He empties us and then he fills us. And here's our hope. Verse 8. But mine eyes are unto thee. But God, who is rich in mercy, put me into the dust. And now mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Leave not my soul destitute, but God. You see, man is never raised up until he's put in the dust. Man is never raised up until he's put down, down low. My friend, salvation is for sinners whose eyes are unto the Lord God. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Now let's look at uh, three things that I believe are key to this verse and to this psalm. Mine eyes are unto thee, O God. My eyes are unto thee. We read last week in Psalm 140, verse 7, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Beloved, the Lord is the strength of our salvation. Indeed, he's the one that's won the battle. He's accomplished our warfare. My eyes are unto thee, O Lord. So what eyes is he speaking about? Well, he's speaking here about the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith. And the eyes of faith are the eyes of hope. And beloved, we have a good hope through God's grace. You see, when God works salvation within us, and salvation begins with a look, does it not? Just a look. Look and live. Look and live. Salvation begins with a look, looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Our Lord said, look unto me and be ye saved. And beloved, we continually look unto him, do we not? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And salvation will be consumed and completed, looking to the Alpha and Omega of all our salvation. A threefold look. Salvation begins with a look. And that look that... That, that doesn't just look and then forget about it. It's a look that continues to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, that continues ever looking to him and him alone. And beloved, our salvation will be consumed or rather consummated with a look. That's right. It begins with a look. It's, it's, it's consummated with a look, went on that, that, uh, and, and concluded with a look. It begins and, and it's consummated. It concludes with a look, went on that glorious day. Our faith will end in sight, and we shall see him as he is. Uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. A 
Salvation begins with a look. Mine eyes are unto thee, O Lord. In 1 John chapter 3, look with me beginning in verse 1. Behold, with the eye of faith, beloved, with the eye of faith, behold, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we see, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, one day, one glorious day, faith will end in sight, and we'll see him as he is. And one glorious day, that same glorious day, he'll change our vile body, and it'll, it'll be fashioned like unto his glorious body. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. All right, back to our text, uh, Psalm 141, and now verse verse 8. Mine eyes are unto thee, my eyes are looking unto him, in him alone. O God the Lord, in thee is my trust, leave not my soul destitute. I trust in thee, O Lord, not the blessings of the Lord. We don't trust the blessings of the Lord, rather we trust in the Lord himself. And I'll turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And we're trusting on the Lord all the time, are we not? Looking to Him, relying upon Him and trusting Him for all things. That will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee because He trusteth in Thee. Now Psalm 62. And look there with me in verse 5. My soul... Wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. God is a refuge for us. We trust in Him. And so we look to him, and looking to him, we trust in him. And so for what... Um, somebody recently gave me a book. It was an author, a reform book. And it had the most horrible teaching in it. Just, just one sentence that just leaped out. In effect, it was saying, you know, God's done his part, and now you do your part. It was talking about how justification was all... Uh, of God's work. And then they went on to talk about sanctification being some sort of collaborative effort between God and man. What a, what a lie from the pit of hell. It's just, it's just not so. I just read to you earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. The Lord's spoken. He is our sanctification, beloved. He is our sanctification. And so let me just ask the question so that I can be clear about this. Uh, what part of salvation do we trust him for? For what part of salvation do we look to him for? My friend, we don't look or trust to him just a part of our salvation. Rather, we, we look to him 
only him. We only look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We only look to his blood and righteousness for all of our salvation. For he's performed everything for us in salvation. Are you telling me that we're to trust the Lord for all of our salvation? Is that your question? That's my question. And my answer is this. Every bit of it, my friend. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. O oh, my eyes look to thee, O oh God, the Lord of my salvation, and I'm trusting the one who is God, my Savior, for all of my salvation. And then it says, thirdly, in this portion, here, Psalm 141, there in the latter part of verse 8, Leave not my soul destitute. Leave not my soul destitute. And that word destitute is in reference to being naked and empty, to being utterly and completely bankrupt. Lord, don't leave me naked. Don't leave me alone. Don't leave me empty and destitute. Now consider this, beloved. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute for sin, because he was forsaken by God, and that because of our sins, he didn't have any sins. He was forsaken of God because of our sins. Make no mistake about that. He was, and, 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 and because of that, he was made destitute as our sacrifice for sin. And because of that, beloved, we shall never be destitute, for we shall never be forsaken. We shall never be destitute of peace, pardon, or righteousness, because the Lord Jesus Christ was forsaken, because he was made destitute. Remember, he was made sin for us. He was made the once-for-all sin offering, made guilty before God on our behalf. And so, therefore, beloved, we're never to be, we're, we're never, we'll, we'll never be destitute. We'll never be naked. We'll never be forsaken. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us and he'll never leave us. And then in Isaiah 61, it says there that he's clothed us with the garments of his salvation and he's clothed us with the robe of righteousness, his righteousness. You see, in verse 8, there, there's a real sweet promise in that latter part. My eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord, and thee is my trust. Leave not my soul naked. Leave not my soul bare. Leave my, my soul destitute. Beloved, he's clothed us. He's provided for us. And then David says, keep me. Leave me not destitute of pardon and peace. Be propitious to me, the sinner. Beloved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 and 10. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me. David had many enemies, many foes. And as we considered last week, our chief enemy is our own sinful nature, our own wicked nature. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. But let the wicked fall into their own nets. And Lord, be our Passover whilst that, that I withal escape. Lord, grant us an escape. Lord, grant us a, a refuge. Lord, keep us. And thank God he does keep us, beloved. Thank God he will not let us go, for we're kept by the power of God. In Second Samuel chapter 8, we read there two times. Not, not one time, but two times. The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And as David waited upon the Lord, in due time he was anointed king over all Israel and publicly owned by that nation. We read in Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. 
My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Kept by the power of God through faith. That is, through his faithful, never-failing Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep us, and he will not let us go, for Christ is our Passover. He has made us to escape, and we look unto him, and we can trust him for all things, can we not? We most certainly can. Amen.